Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Warriors. I am your host, Margo, and this is a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. All right, before I begin this episode, I just want to give a shout out to all of my listeners who have been so kind as to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. I know, I know not everyone listens on Apple, but seeing as roughly 50% of my listeners listen from there, I truly appreciate it. Now, listen, if you listen on an Apple device or if you own an Apple device, I'd really appreciate you taking one minute today. That's all it takes to go into the app and just leave five stars. You don't even have to write anything, although, you know, that's always icing on the cake for me, at least. And I always read all of them and I often share them on my Instagram feed. So, Make sure that you leave a review sometime today or tomorrow. And after you do that, make sure you go on Instagram and follow me at Military Murder Podcast and you might see a shout out from me. Now on to today's case. Today's case is about a couple with the most beautiful smiles I think I've ever seen. Carlin Ramirez and Malik Kearney, both active duty soldiers. In 2015, they were newlyweds. Carlin was stationed at Fort Meade in Maryland and Malik was stationed at Fort Jackson in South Carolina. They had just welcomed a beautiful baby girl and were just a month into their marriage living hundreds of miles apart, when suddenly Malik got some terrible news. Join me today as I discuss the case of Carlin Ramirez. Now, let's dig in. Before I begin today, I want to give a shout out to Stacy N., one of my listeners who helped me to research this case. Thank you so much, Stacy, for your hard work. I also want to give a shout out to one of my listeners who recently recommended this case because she actually knew Carlin Ramirez because Carlin was in her unit. My resources for this episode include a Dateline NBC special titled The Alibi, an unpublished appellate court opinion, and reporting by various media agencies including WJZ-13, Univision, and WBAL-TV-11 Baltimore and Stars and Stripes. Carlin Ramirez was born on April 10, 1991, and she was from Del Rio, Texas. According to her mom, she was a shy kid, but, you know, with age, she blossomed. She played various sports, including volleyball, basketball, and she ran cross-country. But those weren't her best sports. According to her mom, she was really into martial arts and karate. Before she turned 18 years old, Carlin had been through a lot, you know, and one of those things was that she had endured and survived cervical cancer. What? Can you imagine having cancer as a teenager or a preteen and then surviving on the other end of it? I don't know this for sure, but I bet Carlin felt like she had gotten a second chance at life although she always figured she'd probably never be able to birth her own children. Carlin came from a background of many strong military people. 
Her aunt was retired Air Force. One of her grandparents was Air Force. And even her mom, Susan Garcia, was in the reserve. So Carlin was around the military all her life. But Susan, her mom, did not want her precious daughter in the military, which is why she was thrilled when after graduating from high school, Carlin went straight to college to study nursing. But as college students do, she changed her major during college to criminal justice, which is my favorite. That was actually my major. Before Carlin could ever finish her degree, she came home one day and she told her mom randomly that she had joined the army. What? And her mom was shocked. Her mom tried to talk her out of it. Mija, don't do it. But since Carlin knew her mom would do that, she had already signed the dotted line in an effort to seal the deal with the army before her mom could convince her that it wasn't a good idea. And with that, Susan could do nothing else but give her daughter her blessing. And in February of 2013, off Carlin went. She was only 21 years old. After boot camp, she was assigned to Camp Humphreys in South Korea as her first duty assignment. And while she was in Korea, she volunteered at an orphanage where Carlin's beautiful smile brightened up the room. And I'm not just saying that. You actually have to see a picture of this girl because her smile is so beautiful. The kids, of course, at the orphanage loved her. But there was one kid in particular who caught Carlin's heart. According to the Dateline NBC documentary that I watched, Carlin told her mom she wanted to adopt this child. But her mom was like, all in due time, girl, all in due time. And well, a beautiful girl like Carlin didn't have any problems finding a handsome military man who might want to have a baby with her one day. And although us military ladies are always warned, don't fall in love at your first duty assignment, it's usually inevitable. Or at least I speak for myself. In any event, Carlin, a private first class, was super impressed with the confident staff sergeant that she met in Korea. His name was Malik Kearney. And his smile was beautiful, just like hers. I swear, you see a picture of these two together and you are kind of taken aback at how beautiful their smiles are. Malik was born in Philadelphia and he had a tough upbringing, jumping from foster home to foster home. Eventually, at the ripe age of 18, he joined the army. And by the time he met Carlin, he had been in the army for close to 15 years. And he was a seasoned army soldier, having served deployed tours in Pakistan and various tours in Iraq. He was kind of a tough guy, you know? Carlin and Malik hit it off, and before long, Carlin found out she was expecting a baby. Oh, that's awesome! They both seemed thrilled, and Malik, the noble man, even proposed to her, sealing the deal they would be married. Carlin was over the moon, especially because as a cervical cancer survivor, she was sure she'd never birth her own babies. But alas, she was pregnant and filled with so much joy. But as luck would have it when you're a dual military couple, Carlin would be reassigned to Fort Meade in Maryland and Malik was reassigned to Fort Jackson in South Carolina. These two military installations, while both on the East Coast, are roughly 500 miles apart, translating to, I don't know, like a seven-hour trip on the short end and an eight-hour trip on the long end if you don't stop. While at Fort Jackson, Malik was tasked with training recruits in chemical warfare. During her engagement and pregnancy, Carlin ended up renting out an apartment in Severn, Maryland, in Millstone Court. It was a 600-unit community, and it seemed safe. While there, she didn't want to live alone, so she had her sister, Roxana Ramirez, live with her for a while. While working at Fort Meade, Carlin had a top-secret security clearance, and she worked for the NSA, assigned to the 742nd Military Intelligence Battalion. And well, no one really knew what she did for the military because it was super secret squirrely. 
In fact, in everything that I read, no one really talked about her job. Even her mother and sister swore up and down that Carlin refused to tell them what she did. So they never pried. One day while Roxanne was living with Carlin, Carlin was out of town in Texas. But when Roxanne got home at about two o'clock in the morning, the door to the house was wide open, the TV was on, and the dogs were roaming around back. Roxanne was spooked as hell. So she grabbed a knife and she walked around the house, clearing it from room to room. But she didn't find anything. She was freaking out though. When Roxanne shared her experience with Carlin, Carlin was like, shut up. That happened to me too one time. Of course, they were both spooked and they called the landlord who just attempted to pass it off as nothing, noting that it was probably maintenance that just came in to do some work and forgot to close the door. And with that, they really didn't do anything else, although it was always concerning and in the back of their minds. Carlin gave birth to her baby girl on April 23rd, 2015. Carlin and Malik, still only engaged at the time, named the baby Cataleya, but nicknamed her Vale. It's unclear why the couple waited to get married, but three months after Vale was born, Carlin and Malik tied the knot in July of 2015 down in South Carolina. And it seemed that the marriage was looking up, you know? At least now they were married and hopefully the army would attempt to get the pair back together into one household. Because, you know, distance is hard. Meanwhile, Carlin was living back in Maryland with the baby and she had a new roommate. Her name was Marissa Manth and she also had a daughter, so the living arrangement worked out well. And again, during this time period, Carlin arrived home one day when her roommate wasn't home and she felt like stuff had been moved around. And this really spooked her, but there was nothing for her to do. Soon after Carlin and Malik were married though, there was trouble in paradise when Carlin discovered that Malik had a wandering eye. And while this was true, Carlin was confronted with her own infidelities as well. Turns out that while Malik was a two-timing SOB before their marriage, while they were still engaged, Carlin had started a fling with one of her co-workers at Fort Meade. But it seemed that even with the infidelities by both parties, Malik really wanted to work things out with Carlin because they had a baby together. So two weeks after they were married, Malik made the seven-hour trip to attempt to reconcile with his wife. Malik may have thought that Carlin was going to be game to get back together for the sake of their daughter, but Carlin was over all the reindeer games. She had heard for a while that he was a two-timer, but she had had enough, so she denied Malik his request to reconcile. And with that, Malik made the 500-mile trek back to Fort Jackson, realizing his short-lived marriage was officially over. And while we don't know what happened during the interaction, all we know is that Carlin felt uneasy because the very next day she asked the army for a restraining order from her husband and it was granted. And with that, she felt some form of relief. She had confided in her mom that Malik was just so overwhelming that she felt like she couldn't breathe. And so her mom thought, okay, this restraining order is probably going to be good. Sometime after this, Carlin called both her mom and her sister and she was acting very weird. She told them that she didn't feel right. She often wondered if Vale, her daughter, knew that she loved her dearly. Susan, her mom, was like, Mija, what's wrong? But Carlin wouldn't tell her. Susan just figured she couldn't tell her because it had something to do with the military and her top secret job, so Susan didn't press. She just told her to relax, and they left it at that. On the morning of Tuesday, August 25th, 2015, 
Susan called Carlin to check on her. She knew that Carlin was feeling uneasy. And as a mom, she just wanted to see if she slept well. But after several calls, Carlin didn't answer, nor did she ever return her mom's calls. Immediately, Susan knew something was wrong. And as a worried mom, she did what she could to figure out where was Carlin. On the morning of Tuesday, August 25th, 2015, a maintenance worker for the Millstone Court Complex was doing his daily rounds when he happened upon a door that was wide open and the two dogs were roaming outside. The maintenance worker corralled the dogs and put them inside, closed the back door, then went out to the front door, rang the doorbell to see about the open door and the dogs and wondering if everything was okay inside. Well, upon no response, the maintenance worker felt it was odd and called 911. John Poole, a responding police officer, arrived on scene and made entry into the home, and everything was eerily quiet. As a patrolman made his way up to the bedroom, that's when he walked into the nursery to find Carlin Ramirez laying on the floor near the crib covered in blood with four-month baby veil in her arms. They were both motionless. The cop was in disbelief and called for backup. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy. And it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. It was then that they checked for a pulse and it was evident that Carlin was dead. Three gunshot wounds, one to the side and two to the chest. And her pants and underwear had been pulled down. And as the investigator checked Baby Vale, they found she was actually unharmed, just laying in her mother's arms asleep. So that was a big relief. They quickly took her to the hospital for observation. And immediately they began to process the scene. What type of monster would kill the mother and then put the baby in her arms? They knew that Carlin had been shot with a 357, 
And while her pants and underwear were down, they did eventually conclude that she was not raped. Meanwhile, thousands of miles away, Susan had just made contact with someone in Carlin's unit who was going to look into Carlin's lack of communication with her. And as Susan hung up the phone, she heard something. She heard something. She heard someone coming up her driveway. And when she looked outside, she saw people walking up her doorstep in uniform. And she knew something had happened to her baby. Just then, someone else opened the door and the first words out of the notifying team's mouth was, quote, we regret to inform you, end quote. And those five words, those five words Susan Garcia never wanted to hear. Her daughter had been taken from this earth far too soon. And now all she had left of her was her beautiful little infant daughter. But who wanted Carlin dead? Immediately, investigators are also informing her husband, Staff Sergeant Malik Carney, 500 miles away that his wife had been murdered and he's crying. He's in shock. Carlin is the love of his life, he tells investigators. She doesn't have not one enemy. And investigators are like, mm, I don't know. We're kind of skeptical of this guy, right? You know, hashtag the husband did it. And by this point, even though it's early on in the investigation, the investigators had spoken to Carlin's family and they know that the relationship between Carlin and Malik is not all rainbows and butterflies. And they confront Malik with Carlin's affair. And he's like, nah, man, I forgave her for that affair. I didn't, I didn't want her dead. And when asked if he ever cheated on her, he was quick to say no, never. And guess what? Malik had a rock solid alibi. He worked the day before the murder until 2 p.m. And then he worked the following day as well. So it was close to impossible that he could have made the 14, 16 hour road trip down to see his wife. And Malik drove kind of like an out there flashy car, right? It was a Mustang that was always parked outside his house. And according to his neighbors, that car was parked outside all night long. And guess what? A quick run of plates on all major highways leading from South Carolina to Maryland did not ring up a thing. That car had not moved. Additionally, Malik told the investigators that he had been watching Netflix and a quick review of his Netflix account proved he wasn't lying. His rear was sitting at his home near Fort Jackson while his wife was being murdered hundreds of miles away. And to top it off, Malik was super cooperative. He gave investigators whatever they wanted. DNA, done. Fingerprints, done. My phone, done. It was it was just not possible that he had done it because he wasn't acting as someone who was trying to hide something. So that left investigators to have to find the killer with good old police work. None of this relying on hashtag the husband did it theories, you know. And of course, they quickly turned to Carlin's job. She was actually working a top secret job with the NSA. Had she run into money? Was she being blackmailed? You know, something like that. Was it possible that she was targeted due to something that she encountered at work? Or was it possible that her ex-lover could have done it? These were all avenues that investigators had to explore. And when they were running out of hope, the Anne Arundel County Police Department offered a $20,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in Carlin's case. But it would still take time to find her killer. Meanwhile, Malik was now a single father who was working full-time for the Army. So it appears that he worked out an agreement, whereas Carlin's family would take care of baby Vale in Texas. And of course they would. They weren't going to say no. Vale was all they had left of Carlin, and they wanted to protect her. And with that, Malik wanted to be close to his daughter as well. 
So he requested a hardship transfer to San Antonio, Texas to be close to Vale, who was now living with her grandparents. And the army was kind-hearted and they approved the request. And Malik was a doting father, always made it out to see his baby whenever he could. As the months passed, Susan Garcia began to lose faith that Carlin's killer would never be caught. And poor Marissa, Carlin's old roommate, she lived in fear that it was a hitman who killed Carlin, but it just didn't add up. And while Carlin's family didn't feel like enough was being done, the investigators assigned to Carlin's case, Kelly Harding and Dan Myers, they were behind the scenes working their rumps off to find Carlin's killer. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. You see, after Malik gave up his phone, the detectives didn't just look at his phone to examine the night of the murder. No, no, no. They went back. They went way back. And there was something interesting about his phone. There was a number on there that was in constant communication with him, like to the point of obsessive. Investigators ran a check of the phone number and it was registered to a woman named Dolores Delgado. And she was now living in Melbourne, Florida. And she was an army veteran. So in March of 2016, they paid her a visit. And when they knock on her door, it was like she had seen a ghost. And they ask her questions about Malik. And she admits that they met a few years back while in Kuwait. And they had a thing back then. She ends up admitting that she was at his house on the night in question, the night of Carlin's murder, and says Malik was with her in his apartment all night long. And listen, this is an interesting fact, right? Because Malik never once mentioned that he was with another person during his police interview. And you know what? Why wouldn't you provide the name of a person you were with, especially if they are providing your alibi on the night that your spouse was murdered? So they ask her if she's a gun aficionado and she says, no, I don't like guns at all. But they quickly discover, boom, this is false because she was texting about buying a 357. And they see these text messages because they're discovered on her phone. And it's unclear to me whether she gave them permission to search her phone or whether they came prepared with a search warrant. Another thing they found on Dolores' phone is that they found messages between her and Malik messages he made sure to delete off of his phone. But guess what? She failed to remove them from her phone. 
which immediately made Malik seem suspect. And now Malik was also caught in a lie. Detectives do some good old fashioned police work and they find the exact location where Dolores actually purchased a 357 gun before Carlin's murder. It was the B&H gun shop. And right there in a receipt, it's clear as day, she purchased a Taurus 357. And after Carlin's murder, she put bullets that fit that same gun for sale on Facebook. Can you believe that? I mean, I mean, I'm so glad that criminals are dumb as hell because it makes it a little bit easier for cops to catch them. Right. And that just kind of calms my heart a little bit. Now, mind you, Dolores is still free. Right. Even after this initial chat with investigators. And then she does the craziest thing. She relocates to San Antonio to be near Malik. Then, as investigators explore both Dolores's phone and Malik's phone, they discover that on the very night of Carlin's murder, these two fools were discussing gas cans and car mileage, and detectives are wondering, why the hell are they chatting about that? And then, detectives get a tip. It's a tip from someone who will lead them to the murder weapon that would be the nail in both Malik and Dolores's coffin. A call comes in from Dolores' ex-boyfriend. He says he believes that Dolores got him to destroy the murder weapon. He tells a story that he and Dolores hung out sometime after August 24th, 2015, the day of the murder, and they visit Merritt Island in Florida. She gives him a gun and tells him to remove the serial number. And this guy doesn't ask any question, he just does it. He then disassembles the gun and throws the pieces into the pier at her direction. Then they burn some clues in sneakers. According to that Dateline NBC special that I watched, the investigators cannot believe their ears, but they quickly get a dive team on board to go check out the pier. And on the day that they go to the pier, the water is clear as ice and they find what they're looking for, the gun. But it appears that the gun is in bad shape from sitting in water for months and the serial number has been removed. So, oh my gosh, how are they gonna figure this out? And almost as soon as investigators begin to lose hope, they turn to their forensic ballistic expert who is able to do some voodoo magic and makes the serial number reappear. Say what now? I'm just kidding. So listen, it's not voodoo, but it might as well be because he actually does make the number reappear. And you're probably wondering, how does he do that? Well, this expert explains that the serial number goes beyond multiple layers of the actual gun, right? He is able to peel back the layers of the serial number. So while someone might grind those numbers away, maybe they grind the first layer and the second layer of the serial number, this expert uses acid to remove additional layers until he gets to a bottom layer to discover the serial number. And when that number appears, it is clear as day a match for the serial number of the gun purchased by none other than Dolores Delgado from B&H Gun Shop before Carlin's murder. And as if the forensic ballistic expert cannot be more heaven sent, he is able to pull one more trick from his sleeve. While the gun is in bad shape and cannot be used or shot to see if the shells discovered at Carlin's location were shot from that gun, he removed the barrel from the old gun, cleaned it, and put it in a functioning gun. And then he performs six test shots, 
that confirmed that the bullets recovered at the crime scene were in fact shot from that exact gun. Now, I failed to mention this earlier, but I feel like it's important, so I'll let you know. In addition to the Maryland investigators investigating this case, the FBI had been called in early on due to all of the states and jurisdictions involved. Now, the investigators were in possession of the murder weapon, the gun receipt, the phone records, and a statement by Dolores' ex-boyfriend. And the investigators felt confident that both Malik and Dolores were involved in Carlin's murder. And 13 months later, after her death, in October of 2016, both Malik Carney and Dolores Delgado were arrested and charged with interstate travel for purpose of domestic violence, resulting in death. It wouldn't be long until the heat of jail finally broke Dolores and she agreed to flip on Malik and told them what really happened. According to Dolores, she and Malik continued their affair, even though he was with Carlin and subsequently married her. By that time, Malik and Dolores had been an on-again, off-again thing going on eight years. It started back when she was active duty army. But when his wife Carlin told Malik they were over, Malik was not too fond of it, even though he had a side check, you know. He confided in Dolores, in fact, that he would not allow another man to raise his daughter. And with that, they went through with a plan to take Carlin out. Dolores drove to South Carolina from Florida to act as his alibi. Because he drove such an obvious car, this, you know, Mustang, they decided that he needed to leave the Mustang parked in the spot where it always was. And Malik would take Dolores's car, a Nissan Altima. But in an effort to avoid tolls and having to stop for gas, they went to a Home Depot and purchased gas cans and filled them up for his drive. The plan was for him to take her car and only use back roads and fill up his own gas tank using his containers of gas in an effort to avoid detection and to not be caught in surveillance video. Dolores even packed this guy a sandwich and a freaking Twinkie. Can you what? Can you imagine packing someone a murder sandwich? Like, here's your snack bag, honey, in case you get hungry after you murder your wife. That is so bizarre. But things like this happen all the time. So meanwhile, he's driving. Dolores stayed at his apartment with his phone so it wouldn't hit any cell phone towers on the way. And she even sent two text messages to random people while at the house using his phone so his phone would hit the cell towers near his house. And of course, she also watched Netflix using his account to further strengthen his alibi. Dolores was even the one that bought the gun and gave it to him. I mean, it was an elaborate plan. The interesting thing of it is that Dolores was like a puppy for this man. There are various text messages between the two of them where he calls her a dodo, like like a dodo bird. But I guess she is his dodo, you know? He also attempts to please her by telling her she's his soulmate, but she claps back by telling him if she was his soulmate, he would have never left her. Malik's trial at the Maryland Federal Court began in July of 2018, three years after Carlin's murder. And of course, the star witness was Dolores. In addition to the facts already stated, she testified that after the murder, she feared Malik would turn on her. She often had nightmares that she was being strangled and others when she felt like she was going to jail. 
but she lived in an almost bipolar state. My interpretation, not hers or not scientific at all. She was kind of scared of him, but at the same time, she felt confident because they had done this thing together. But, you know, after Carlin was dead, Dolores thought she'd have Malik all to herself. But turns out she was wrong because he'd always have his daughter Vale. And now without Carlin, Malik was always with Carlin's family. And this really irked Dolores. And in a crazy turn of events, as reported by WBAL-TV 11 Baltimore, while both Malik and Dolores were in jail, Malik tried to secretly correspond with his mistress. He wanted her to take full responsibility for the murder. Can you believe this guy? He wanted her to fill in the blanks of an affidavit that he wrote and take responsibility while claiming some sort of mental health defense. In exchange, Malik was like, don't worry, baby, I got you, girl. He promised her she wouldn't serve more than eight years. And when she got out, he told her, I promise I will marry you and I'll give you a baby or, you know, we can just adopt. What the hell? This guy, you're (laughs) this guy's a real winner, right, y'all? But the defense attorney in Malik's trial argued that the real killer was Dolores and they should really only look at her. But the jury didn't buy the BS. And with that, Malik was convicted. Not only had he traveled trying to be all sneaky, but he used his own key to get into Carlin's house. After she refused to get back with him, he shot her three times and then put the baby in her arms. I mean, what type of monster does that? The judge ended up sentencing him to life in prison plus 10 years just because he was so pissed off by how calculating Malik was and not only planning out the execution of his 24 year old wife of one month, but then abandoning his baby girl. The judge probably was like, well, divorce is better than murder. But since you're too stupid to know that, boom, here's life plus 10 years to ensure you never see the light of day. According to reporting by Mike Helgren, a WJZ investigator, the judge also ordered Malik to pay Carlin's family half a million dollars. And while I'm not sure why the judge handed down this fine, I can only imagine it has something to do with the half a million dollar life insurance payout that Malik likely got from SGLI and military survivors benefits after Carlin was murdered. Now, let me explain this just a little bit. Most people who are in active duty, they get four hundred thousand dollars of life insurance just in general. And then usually when you have a mill to mill, I I don't really know this, but but I know because I'm mill to mill. When you have a military to military spouse, you can do like another hundred thousand dollars. So if one of the military spouses was to pass away while on active duty, there is an an almost immediate $500,000 payout in addition to survivor's benefits that go along with, you know, the person's death. And I'm assuming because it had taken over a year for Malik to be arrested and charged with the murder, that that money was immediately paid out to him. What he did with that and whether the family was ever paid, I don't know. Dolores had pled guilty before Malik's trial, but her sentencing was afterwards. Dolores was sentenced after she held up her end of the bargain and testified against Malik. During her sentencing, her attorney presented information about Dolores's upbringing. According to reporting by Tim Prudente from Stars and Stripes, Dolores escaped her home life in New Mexico where she was sexually abused as a child. And she joined the army thinking, oh, this is going to be better. I'm finally escaping. 
but it wasn't. According to this article, she was sexually harassed and raped by a military member, so she could never escape that life. But once she met the buff Malik, she thought things were different. But really, it was no different as he only used her as he pleased, never committing to her, really never committing to anyone for that matter. During her sentencing hearing, she apologized to the court with tears in her eyes, but the judge was not having it. And he scolded her and told her if she was truly sorry, she'd turn and face the people who were truly suffering, Carlin's family. And so she did. For her cooperation, Dolores was given some leniency and she was given a 17-year sentence. Vale, Carlin's daughter, will now grow up without her biological mother and father, but her grandparents love her to the moon and back. Whenever Carlin's mom speaks to the media, she just has a glow about her. I bet the only thing keeping her going is that little girl. Vale is now seven years old, and in one of the documentaries that I saw, she had a little stuffed animal with a voice box in it of Carlin singing her a lullaby. In addition to everything else that she loved to do, Carlin loved to sing. If you're interested in seeing more pictures of Carlin, her beautiful daughter, and some other images as they relate to the case, make sure that you follow me on Instagram where I will be posting more images. You can find me on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast. Shout out to this week's newest supporters, Andrew R., Angela L., and Ella A. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. This month's executive producers are Falcon 13 and Nicole G. The music was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. podcast.